Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, just to, uh, just to prove that when you come to church, you don't always have to sit in the same seat. <laughs> Bill and I are sitting in different seats. We're uh, setting a, a phenomenal model for everyone, aren't we? But, um, no, it is, it is funny how we have our patterns. Many of us also will park in the same place and then sit in the same seat. And then if we find somebody in our seat, we get a little indignant. But the reality is that uh, when somebody's in our seat, it's probably because they're new. And it's an opportunity for us to embrace them and to let them know how glad that we are that they're there, even though they're in our seat. Well, and I am so glad you're here this morning. On, on the West Coast, rain was like this. Clouds came in and it was a slow, steady rain and it would rain for hours, if not days. And people would then go to church. Here it's the opposite. They stay home. <laughs> but um, I'm so glad you're here. You are the true believers that you're here. And um, our text this morning is from the prophet Micah. And Micah, Micah carried on his prophecy at a very interesting seam in the time of, of uh, God's people. Because Israel to the north had been hauled off by the Assyrian Empire, and Assyria was threatening the south. So the so-called ten lost tribes to the north of, the, of, of Israel were taken away and scattered all, all around the, the region. And then Micah speaks, and he also then is prophesying about this horrific time. And it's about 125 years later that Babylon comes and defeats Judah. So this is a bad time in their history. And it's a time when prophets rose up and spoke words of, of doom and, and warning. And in the midst of it, Micah also is speaking words of doom and warning. But then, then he also offers these words of hope. Here the word of God as it comes to us from the prophet. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the peoples of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you one whose origins are from the distant past. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the women in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. 
the Old Testament actually in a manner that isn't really all that obvious predicts the coming of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, the early church, because the Jews didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the early church poured through the scriptures to try to find where it might be this, these prophecies that anticipated the coming of the Messiah. So they went through and they, they scoured the scriptures to find out how is it that this one who is risen is the one who was prophesied? How is it this is the Messiah? And they found these passages, but some of the passages that are predictions of the early church that the church identified were also some passages that the people of God, the Jewish people also recognized. And this is one of them. This is one of them because it, it starts all the way back with Jacob. Jacob, who lost his wife, Rachel, as she was giving birth to their youngest son, Reuben. Pardon me. I forgot his name. <laughs> Reuben's the oldest, and now I'm locked out. Pardon? Benjamin, thank you. Thank you, Don. Will you stand right here and whisper in my ear? So Benjamin, she's, and she dies in childbirth, or soon after childbirth, and, and Jacob then builds an, a, a tower, and it's called Migdal Eder, which means the tower of the flock. And it's, it's sort of a reminder of, of his dear wife, this wonderful bride of his that gave him all those children. And so this tower of the flock is built, and it's built between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And then Micah picks up this image of the tower of the flock and, and says that when the, the Messiah comes, there will be glorious declarations at the tower of the flock, at Migdal Eder, which is just outside Jerusalem. And it was a place where sometimes shepherds would go up high and watch their flocks. And, and it was also a place where the flocks would be gathered in. And then he makes this, this statement about how small is, is Bethlehem. Just a tiny wide spot in the road south of Jerusalem. How small and insignificant it is. And, and yet from this one will come a ruler out of tiny Bethlehem. And then this harkens back to the insignificance of the, the ruler of, of, of Israel that, that was King David. For Samuel, when Samuel went to, to find the next king after Saul had failed, Samuel went to Jesse and his boys and, he, and his boys came out. Jesse comes out with his boys. Here's Abinadab. He's got a letterman's jacket on. He's got, uh, you know, he's Phi Beta Kappa from college and, you know, went to, dare I say, he went to UC Santa Barbara. And, uh, and he, <clears throat> and so Samuel sees him and says, certainly this is the one. God whispers to Samuel and he says, no, no, don't look at the outside. 
God doesn't look at the outside. Look at the heart. And so all of the sons of Jesse come paraded by. And, and Samuel says, is there any other? Well, there's the, the kid. He's out watching the sheep because, because somebody has to. So they bring in David. The least of them, the most insignificant of them, is brought in. So we have this theme that, that is then repeated in the Gospel of Matthew, in the second chapter, when the wise men show up in Jerusalem, it's the religious authorities that say that the one who is coming is going to be born in Bethlehem. So in other words, the early church is not responsible for this. Even the religious authorities, those who were working with Herod, those who were responsible ultimately for the, the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem, they participated in this by repeating that prophecy. But what's so significant in this is the attention to the least, the insignificant, the one, the one who is so small, the one who is virtually unnoticed, the, ones, the one who's looked over. That's $100. <laughs> the one who's overlooked. And so this value of looking to the least, looking in places that we don't ordinary look, ordinarily look, these are, the, these are the ones whom God sees, whom God looks to, and God raises up. And so he raises up David, and David becomes the king after whom the messianic hopes begin to billow out. David becomes the one, and the Messiah is to be a king like David. But even the Messiah then is also going to have these very humble beginnings. Very lowly start in a lowly village. It's this core value of, of our faith that we, we look to the least. We look to the, the hurting, to the lame, to the broken. That somehow God is there. And he's not impressed by our great accomplishments. However wonderful our lives may have been in terms of our accomplishments, that, that's not what matters to God. It's the humble, contrite heart, the humility, the the place where we find ourselves broken and we open ourselves up to our God. That's what matters. My, uh, my time in Holland, Michigan was a wonderful, however brief time. And I used to play racquetball with a guy named Bob Sturkin. I beat him one time. Great player. He had to be a great player to beat me so often. <laughs> yeah, great player. And he had a son who had Down syndrome. Robbie. And to this day, Robbie Sturkin, Sturkin is the most fanatical follower of Hope College athletics. Everything to him is go blue, go blue, go blue. And he is this wonderful, loved individual in the, in the community of Holland, Michigan. And I remember so well that at Holland High School, he was, he was the manager of the basketball team. 
And yet he would always suit up because he wanted to be like the guys. But he was always taking care of all the players. And in one particular game, Holland High was pretty far ahead. And the coach yelled down the bench for Robbie to go in the game. And it was an amazing moment. Robbie was so excited. He got the ball and started dribbling down the floor. And the other team kind of like let him go. And he stopped and shot from the top of the key and didn't draw iron or board. The ball just went out of bounds. Holland High brought it in and they threw it right to Robbie. And again, the other guys were standing by, kind of faking their defense. And Robbie Sturkin scored in the closing minute of the game. And, and the, the stands and everyone just rose up and cheered for this wonderful young man. Mysteriously and wonderfully made. Now George Will has a, has a son who's now in his 40s. And he says, anytime you can see John behind the dugout of the Washington Nationals and he'll have his beer set right there on the, on the dugout roof. He is like Robbie. He's a phenomenal, a phenomenal fan of the Washington Nationals. I haven't read any comments of George Wills lately since the Nationals did what they did this year in the, in the World Series. But he, in an article not too long ago, had this to write about his son, who is among the least of our brothers and sisters. Judging by John, the world would be improved by more people with Down syndrome, who are quite nice as humans go. It is said we are all born brave, trusting, and greedy but we remain greedy. People with Down syndrome must remain brave in order to navigate society's complexities. They have no choice but to be trusting because with limited understanding and limited abilities to communicate misunderstandings, they always depend on the kindness of strangers. Judging by John's experience, they almost always receive it. The lowliness, the humility, the least of our brothers and sisters in whatever context we find them, the broken, the needy, our brothers and sisters who are going under the knife for one reason or another, our brothers and sisters who are fighting off a chronic condition, our brothers and sisters who may have difficulties in their families. How many times have we heard about uh, a young one maybe in teens or 20s, who's already addicted. These are the least of our brothers and sisters. So the lowly birth, the lowly birth of Jesus is a birth that anticipates his entire ministry to be among us as one who himself would be broken on our behalf. The one among us Below whom, below whom no one might descend 
That's why we have in the Apostles' Creed that phrase, he descended into hell. There is no place beneath where Jesus has descended. So the, the humility, the lowliness, that, that is because we have, we have this, this Lord who understands our human condition and comes to us wherever we are. And in the midst of it also, because of the hiddenness of this, because we, we have this will of God that is unfolded in a manner that we don't anticipate, God's plan for each of our lives has a necessity about it. There's a necessity about God's plan that will proceed despite our plans. So when, when somebody is hurting or broken, can it be that this is also within the province of God's plan? There's a necessity about that plan. I was at Sam's Club not too long ago and I had been to the NCH banquet and uh, this, one of the guys who worked there came up from behind me and he called out to me. He said, sir, said, I, haven't I met you somewhere? And I, I, he, said, he said, like at the hospital or something? I said, well, I was at that NCH thing. And he said, oh yeah, my, my wife was one of the recognized nurses who was a part of that. I said, oh really, that's great. And we talked a little bit and I made the comment that, that I was a minister. And he said, you? <laughs> he said, I thought you were some big doctor. <laughs> I'm just a big minister. <laughs> but it, it struck me because when I was a s senior in high school, first semester, I was taking advanced algebra, sitting in the back with other guys on the basketball team, goofing around, joking, not listening. I think I got a C in the class, which for me was unheard of up to that point. But I wanted to go into medicine. I wanted to be a doctor, a big one. <laughs> So I went to UC Santa Barbara and I started taking Chem 1A, biology, and just did horrible, awful. And, and I thought, well, what am I going to do with my life? And yet there was, a, there was a necessity, I believe, about God's plan. At the same time, I was involved in a youth group down in Montecito, not too far from the campus. And I was leading kids in youth ministry and taking them to the Sierras and all that kind of stuff and having the time of my life. And because I wasn't able to go to medical school, I thought law school, thought I'd be a big lawyer. But then I was at a place in my life where I realized now, what, what did I really want to do but what I was doing with those kids, sharing with them the good news of, of God's love. And as time went by, I came to see and realize that there is a necessity about God's plan. Our plans be what they may. There's a necessity of God's plan. So how on earth would Jacob have known when he built that tower 
to cover over his dear wife as she had passed. How was he to know? How was Micah to know? And when he spoke of that little town, Bethlehem, that there was a necessity. How was David to know when he was brought in off the field that that he would become the king and a king, even with all of his flaws and brokenness, that would be the model of the king who would be the one to come. So in our own lives, to know that there, there is a divine necessity about God's plan for your life. And perhaps the greatest challenge we have in this life is to embrace that plan and to live out what God has called us to be. Will you bow with me in prayer? And Lord, it's that into which our lives are most fully lived. When we endeavor to do things our way, when we endeavor to be self-promotional or self-aggrandizing, when we try to become big, Lord, it is your will that we would enter into what you have planned for us. And there is no time in our lives when that plan might not be known and when our steps might not follow the steps of your son. So move us, O Lord, according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.